Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. I wasn't much for sports. And then I played football my eighth grade year. And then I kind of was like, no, this isn't for me. So I went and started running with the wrong people and getting in trouble, not going to school, things like that. And then um, one of my neighbors, he was an athlete. He was a wrestler and his, his brother was a football player. We had this bet and he said, we can wrestle right now because I was running with the wrong people, thought I was tough. And he said, well, let's wrestle right now in the backyard. It was the summertime. He said, if I beat you, you get to go out for football. If I don't, you can do whatever you want to do. And he kicked my ass. And um, he was a wrestler. And that next week, I went out for football, and it was the greatest decision I ever made. In that, I found a family. In that, I found structure. In that, I found um, just a peace of mind. So instead of going home to the craziness that once was, now I get to go after school. I get to go play sports. Folks, when I finished my 100-miler, I was happy to be done but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part, a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize, perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com. Welcome to the Mental Toughness Podcast with Dr. Rob Bell. This is episode 112. We have an excellent fitness professional as our guest today. Uh, other episodes that shine the light on fitness and health, episode 99 with Jeff Byers. He's the CEO of Momentus. Episode 95 is Adam Curley. He's a PT, athletic trainer, strength coach on the PJ Tour. Episode 57 as well is James Mayo. He's founder of SOS Hydration. So all those episodes are fantastic. If you're looking for a fitness episodes specifically. And uh, if you're looking for more dogish episodes, you're going to have one today. So our guest graduated from uh, Indiana University. He's a TPI level three certified golf fitness instructor, golf performance coach. He's the owner of the fitness garage and has coached senior PGA, PGA, LPGA players, tons of uh, collegiate and high school players. Excited for this conversation today. I know you're going to enjoy it. Our guest is Mike Christmas. Mike, my man, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Excited. Excited about talking with you today. So first, man, how's, how's Major Kane doing? Uh, Major's good. He's he turned a year old yesterday. Uh, he's about a hundred, shy of one hundred and twenty pounds now. He's kind of he's a staple here at the gym. I mean, it's been fun. Him. We got him. He was about ten pounds. He's really put on the weight, so he's fun to have around. So, real quick, man, for uh, like, what's what does having a dog as part of your family and crew? What, what what's it do for you? I think a dog is a staple. I mean, I can remember going back to being a kid and having a neighborhood dog. I mean, I was in, I was down South, so I had a neighborhood dog and it was just someone that, uh, you just, it was part of the family. It was someone you depend on always had, it's always upbeat, always excited to be around you. I've had them now at my first year, my first open up fitness garage, we're talking, you know, 13, 14, 15 years ago, um, brought a dog on like the first or second week I opened the gym, he grew or she grew up there and it's just been something I love having around. It's something people can walk into. They're welcome to buy him or her. My last dog was a female. And it's just it's just part of the family. Yeah. 
No, I love it, man. It's kind of weird to recognize even what life was like before the dog, right? Oh, I don't remember life without a dog. Yeah. And, you know, it's, when they say the easiest way to get over a dog, passing is like to get another dog and you want to mourn it. And I mourned my last dog, but they fill you up with so much enjoyment that you just, you're ready to take on another dog if that happens because you always want life. It needs to be present. Yeah. Well, anybody that follows me knows how important my dog is. So uh, she's always running with me, man. So I wanted to start, you know, early with your life, actually. You and I spoke a couple weeks ago. I'm glad we have you on today. So, I mean, from early on growing up, I mean, there's a lot of trauma that you had growing up, uh, moving, you know, there's addiction and developed life patterns. But start us off early on and wherever you want to start this journey. And and I'll sort of insert where, where we can, but uh, Mike's yours, man. So this is, I knew this question was going to be asked. So I asked this question to a few other people and hopefully this hits what you're looking for. I asked three people in the room this morning. I said, when someone asks you where you're from, what do you tell them? And of course the common answer is, well, you know, I was born here and I was, I grew up in this house and I grew up in this town and this is where I went to school. And I said, yeah, that sounds right. And the three people in the room all said the same thing. And I thought, well, it's a tough question for me because I was born in Indiana. I moved to Southern Texas. I bounced around from different cities in Southern Texas. I then bouncing back and forth in, in Texas uh, between Houston, Alvin, Southern areas, and then moving to Indiana, then to Illinois, then to Indiana, and then multiple places in Indiana. I'm sitting here thinking, where am I from? Like when someone asked me that question, that's just such should be such an easy question, but it's really not because so much has occurred during that process. Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. Mm -hmm. So, and that, that's the, that's the hard part. And it's very hard to understand your roots and understand where you're from, what, what, what made you who you are and all that when it was so inconsistent over time. So that's like, that was a big part of, of that. I mean, I was, I just wanted to lead off with that piece. That yeah, was a big no, I, I do, man. I appreciate that. What was, um, so what was all the cause of, of all the moving and, and what you dealt with as a, as a kid? Um, that's a tough one. So I come from a long line of, of substance abuse and domestic violence. So when I was born, my parents were divorced within six months. Uh, my mom took the kids. I have, I have two, I have two, well, I have quite a few, but she took our two, my two, my brother and my sister, and we went to um, Texas to live with some family. And she ended up getting involved. She had substance abuse issues. And then my dad had substance abuse issues. And then the, the person that she married, my stepfather, was had substance abuse issues. My grandfather was an alcoholic. You know, my family are substance, have substance abuse issues. So everywhere I went, there was substance abuse and there was... Um, some domestic violence, which caused us to bounce around from place to place. So as a kid, every day is kind of traumatic in itself because you never know really what you're going to come home to. You never know if you're going to be in the same situation for a length, a lengthy amount of time. And it was the fact that there was so much of that addictive trait in my family that I was constantly going in different directions. And by different directions, I mean living in different places, you know, um, my mom's moving me here. My mom's moving me there. We're going to one school, going to another school, going to a different city. Uh, the substance abuse is still there. The domestic violence is still there. There's all these issues that go on as a kid that you have to go through and you don't have a choice, right? So that's what led me down that path of bouncing from school to school, from, from city to city, from state to state was all of that substance abuse and domestic violence and all that that was parent in my childhood. So that's, that's the number one cause. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. I know part of doing this is, I mean, you've had so many clients throughout the years and I hope they're able to tune in because it's not something that we bring up every day when we're getting ready to, 
do a workout or something. So, I mean, I appreciate the raw nature that you're sharing. What, what is it that, that you remember, man, as, as a kid moving around, um, you get to witness certain things. What stands out to you about that time, man, and, and, and the pain like you felt? The hardest part was not having, not feeling like you had a place to call home. And to, it's, it's going home from school and knowing that things are going to be crazy. It's getting calls when I'm, when I'm 13 years old or 14 and I'm getting calls from local bars because I need to go get my dad who's drunk at a bar getting in fights. I have to go get him out of that. It's coming home and knowing that you're not going to be there for the night because your stepdad is wasted and there's going to be, he's probably going to beat your mom. And then now you're going to be running to your friend's house. And there's all these things that, that you don't, you have no stability. There's no security in that. And as a kid, you think about that. You're like, well, you go to school, you should come home, watch cartoons, do some homework, have dinner, lay down, go to bed, wake up next, do the next day. It wasn't like that. There was, yeah, it was, it was never like that. Yeah. So, you know, even as the age of 13 or 14, I mean, you had to grow up really fast, didn't you? Correct. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, when you, yeah, go ahead, man. I remember, and I don't want, I remember being in situations where um, I'd ask myself, like, is this really what was intended for me? Like, is this really how it's supposed to be? So it was a tough situation. Yeah. When, when you start to, you know, when you're 13 or 14, not wanting to go home, you don't have that stability. Yeah. Um, how did, how did you channel it? What did you do with that? Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. What do we do with that? I mean, I used, like you said before, we had to, we had to grow up faster than usual. We had to make sure we still got our homework done. We had to make sure we still fed ourselves. And I'm talking about my siblings there with us. So we just lived life. Um, we just tried to live life as normally as we could. And, you know, my mom took us away, tried her best to get us out of the, the violence part. She did her best to um, get us out of the substance abuse. My mom quit, quit drinking, quit smoking, all those things on a like cold turkey many, many years ago after our childhood. Um, but she did her best to kind of bounce us around and kind of keep us safe. But we just had to take things as they, as they came our way. I mean, there, was, there wasn't any, you know, every day, there was no routine really mm-hmm. yeah there wasn't really a routine was um so i mean with growing up too did you uh was drinking and um and like drugs stuff like that was that then part of your life Al- drugs never part of my life alcohol became a part of my life because a it was what i was around so much and b it's what i was what i was taught growing up that that's what you do. You, I mean, that's that's how you cope with things. This is how you you get over things. This is when things go wrong, you drink. When things aren't, you know, it. Yeah, it became part of my life, and I've always had somewhat of a ability to kind of see things from the outside in. Where if they get out of control, I can notice that. I mean, I, and and we talked about this uh, last week. You know, it was three years ago that I finally said something in my life had to change. And though I was not an alcoholic, um, the one thing that was always rooted in my DNA is the addictive trait of alcohol. So it was like three years ago, I just told myself I was going to quit drinking and I haven't picked it up since. And that was like one of the biggest steps in my life was that, was putting that down and knowing that I didn't have to have the same issues that the people in my past did. I mean, I lost a brother to alcoholism. And he committed suicide and I put, well, let's see, I buried one of my best friends at 40, when he was 40 years old, he died of alcoholism and seeing the people still in my family that are still addicted to alcohol and pills and things like that. It's, it's not fun. Right. It's, it's sad to see even like my dad right now, I don't have a very good relationship with my dad, if any, because he's still an alcoholic and I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to him a couple times a year and that's about it. And he only he doesn't live too far from me. I mean, growing up as an athlete, going through high school, he was always drunk. I remember 
going to parent teacher conferences and them pulling him out of the meeting because he's wasted and playing sports. And he went to like one or two of my games throughout all of my high school career, you know, so you, you learn to do things for yourself and, and, um, try to find what like deep inside you that you can change that separates you from what was once there in your, in your family line. Did you channel, I mean, I assume there, there was anger there. Oh, a lot. Did There's you lot channel of, that? Did you channel that into sports? I did. So I actually, it's what, one of the things, and I, I was hoping you'd ask this question. Um, I played my first sport when I was like 14. I think I played Little League Baseball or 13, played Little League Baseball. And I wasn't much for sports. And then I played football my eighth grade year. And then I kind of was like, no, this isn't for me. So I went and started running with the wrong people and getting in trouble, not going to school, things like that. And then um, one of my neighbors, he was an athlete. He was a wrestler and his, his brother was a football player. We had this bet and he said, we can wrestle right now because I was running with the wrong people, thought I was tough. And he said, well, let's wrestle right now in the backyard. It was the summertime. He said, if I beat you, you get to go out for football. If I don't, you can do whatever you want to do. And he kicked my ass. And um, he was a wrestler. And that next week, I went out for football, and it was the greatest decision I ever made. In that, I found a family. In that, I found structure. In that, I found um, just a peace of mind. So instead of going home to the craziness that once was, now I get to go after school. I get to go play sports. I get to go to these guys. I get to do that. And that was like the big, one of the big saviors in my life was sports. Mm -hmm. So it was a wrestling match that changed everything. It was a wrestling match with my buddy Joe. And that was his deal. He said, if I beat you, you're going to go off for football. And I was like, all right, if you beat me, I'll go off for football. And he beat me and I went out for football and I played sophomore year, junior year, senior year. Then I played three years of small college football and it's kind of sports molded my life. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am today was in that. You know, along that time as well, man, um, having to change so many different uh, schools, um, mm -hmm. David Novak, who, who was a guest, he talked about, you know, you're only one good friend away from, you know, from happiness, really. Um, changing all those different schools, what did you have to adapt and like overcome when you're, when there's no routine and when you're changing all that much and so much chaos around you? Um, trust. Trust is the biggest one. Um, you put a lot, you put a lot of trust in people early and cause you hope like that's going to last. And then if it falls apart, which it usually did, it's, it, it crushes you. Right. So to me, my fan and my friends that I, the people I keep close to the circle that I keep is really small, but those are the people that I put everything into. Um, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing is that you're, you go to one school and then you have these friends that you make and you form this little clique and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're not going to be here anymore. Now you're going to this school. Now you got to do it all over again. Now you're going to this school. And I think one of the, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an extremely introverted person outside of the gym. I'm pretty quiet. Um, I don't do a lot of small talk. And I think one of those reasons why is the fact that the way I was raised, I was constantly went from a state of getting comfortable and growing around people and all that to observing the room from a distance, learning who it is that you can kind of trust learning the environment as opposed to just interacting with the environment immediately. And that's one of the big things that bouncing around so much. I mean, you have no control over anything. Mm -hmm. And every time, like when that happens, it's, it's during such a time, if you think about what you go through from first grade through ninth grade like all this the growth that occurs all of the friends that you make all of the experiences you go through and you think like every couple years or every few months or every this that it's just going to change you're going to wake up and you're just like hey we're moving here hey we're moving there i need to enroll you in school here oh wait i gotta take you out of school here i gotta enroll you in this school then you're going to go to a boarding school and then you're going to be in a woman's shelter for a little bit then you're going to be you're going to move to this state then you're going to go to that state and and it's it's not it's like i i learned a lot um, yeah, it's a hard, that's a hard one. So you had to observe 
your entire surroundings and take in all this information in terms of how people are interacting with one another just to be able to figure out where where to be and what not to be. Is that right? Correct. So like right now, even today, I'm I'm 44 years old. If I walk into a room of people, I trust no, I like I I just look around and I will spend more time observing and figuring things out because I don't understand what direction to go or, or I'm not going to run up to a group and just like start talking like, Hey, what's going on? What's your name? How's this? How's this all going? That's not me. Mm-hmm. It's been that taken out of me as a young kid because you had to learn to adapt to different situations and you had to learn that, you know, that your situation someplace may be short. So you better make your time there count. So you got to figure out what's going on, who you want to interact with, who do you want to let into your circle? Because you know, it's, it's not, it may not last long. Yeah. And How I, did go ahead, Mike? And the other part was like here. It's it's kind of ironic because, and this is I don't know if you want to. When I lived in Illinois, so I spent a lot of time growing up. I grew up. I lived in a trailer a lot because my family was poor. So I grew up in a trailer for the most part. Um, I remember I went to Elk Grove Village High School, and if anybody or Elk Grove Village Junior High, if anybody looks that up, Elk Grove Village and Elk Grove Junior High is like the Carmel of Illinois, and I was the kid that lived in a trailer park. So the interesting part about that is like, I would go to the school filled with wealthy families and, and wealth and, and affluence. And I'm that kid that gets on a bus and goes through all these neighborhoods and kids get dropped off at all these big houses. At the end of the bus, you're like, they take you through your trailer park. Like going to your trailer park wasn't enough, like slap in the face about everything that's going on. But then they drive the bus through there to drop you off. And now my gym is like in the middle of the place where I grew up. And I feel like it's the place where people hang out. And people come to work out. So it's like a I flipped this whole thing in a mm. sense. It's kind of crazy to me this much, this further along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great observation, man. That when when you mentioned that too, man, I can kind of picture that going through affluent neighborhoods, dropping kids off, and then actually going through the um the trailer park itself, having getting dropped off, man. Yeah, that's that's a powerful scene, man. You put that in there. Everybody knows where that bus is going. You're just kind of like, yeah, I guess I'm that poor kid that lives in the trailer park inside of a rich area. Like it was, it, it takes a, it takes a toll on you. Yeah. And so, you know, when you, when you start to grow up, man, like you're, you're channeling that into sports, mm-hmm. kind of your circumstances saying you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Was was that your mentality or how did you kind of then work on your own mentality in terms of, I will be good enough? Um, I played bat. So when I played, when I played basketball, there was this kid who connected with me. And when I lived in when I finally settled down in high school, I, I lived in Hammond, Indiana, which is like blue collar, capital of indiana you know the region there are a lot of kids similar to me and we there wasn't any lot there weren't a lot of people that are super talented in sports a few of them but we all knew that sports was the place that we got a chance to get away from everything else so when we get on the basketball court or when we get onto the football field it's like this is everything we have um i'm gonna give everything i have here I, this is, this is my family. These are the people I can trust. I'm playing for these guys. They're playing for me. It was a camaraderie, even though our football team was horrible. I mean, we won like a a conference championship and we did in basketball, we won like 15 games or something. It wasn't the fact that we, we were, that we weren't state champions. We weren't that we were out there all together because of the same reasons we're in sports, trying to get away from something else, Mm -hmm. knowing that on people that we can trust and willing to give that person next to you everything that you have. And that was the key that kept me going through it. And then eventually I became captain of the basketball team and captain of the football team. And then I went on to play a few years in, you know, small college football, but it was just, it wasn't for, it was for the guy next to me. And that that's, that's what got me there. And the fact that I know in sports, it's an escape for a lot of people. And to me, it was an escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There weren't any camps. There wasn't any personal training. There weren't any coaches back then for me. It was you out there and you, you know, you got, you, you go give it all you got. And at the end of the day, that's it. And you do it again. It wasn't, 
I didn't have what I, the services I provide today, which is even more ironic. Um, right. yeah, that's, it was all about the, the camaraderie of kids around you that went, came from similar backgrounds that were there for each other. Yeah. And, and I know, and I'm going to get into, you know, your current role, of course, and, and how yeah. you impact and in, in individuals. Um, I'm always just fascinated by the backstory, man. And, and, you know, one more question on that, like, how did it affect your relationships and like those patterns that you developed early on as a kid? How did those patterns then repeat itself kind of then early on throughout, throughout your life? Easy Exeter. Um, and I say that because I know it, I think, um, when things went wrong, if things, if I was in a situation as a kid and something went wrong and I knew soon enough, my situation was going to change, I would just vacate the situation. I would vacate that relationship. I would, I would, I would leave it because I knew if I didn't leave it, it's going to leave me anyways. So one way or another stability has never been a part of my life, whether it's in relationships. My mom has been married and divorced twice. My sister's been married and divorced twice, right? My brother's married. My brother's divorced and he, my, my brother passed away. I mean, it's like he's divorced. He was divorced. Um, that's all I saw were broken relationships. So, you know, when you see that, you don't understand how much that's being ingrained in your body to see like, oh, this is how it happens. Oh, this is how you do that. Oh, this is how this happens. And then next thing you know, you're 30 and you're like, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I know what this is. And my big thing was easy exiting. You don't trust me. I don't trust you. I'm done. If this happens, I'm done. If I did this and you reject me, you don't like me, I'm done. Like that's the biggest thing is, and I hate the fact that that became part of my life. It was the, the instability. Um, but that's just the way, those are the cards I was given. And um, you wake up 40 years later, 44 years later, and you see and you just go, man, I'm just a product of everything I went through. How do we mm -hmm. change that? And that's where the alcohol had to come to an end, regardless of it being bad or regardless of it being under control, or out of control, it had to end. And that, yeah, that's easy exiting and instability were the two biggest things that I hate happened in my life because of the repercussions they had down the road. Right. And the other irony there is the stability piece is what you provide for so many athletes now. Yes. So we got, we got three, three huge nuggets there, man. Yeah. And that, again, this is like, to me, fitness garage is everything that I encompass of, um, that I didn't have and everything that I encompass that, um, I think people should have, but in the same sense, it's also why I feel like I'm harder on athletes because I believe that I don't know if they understand the situation, the gifts that they're given. And when you come from the, you come from the background that I come from, and you see kids with so many resources and they're just squandering them. And I know that's not my decision to make, but when you see it from where I'm from, you try to hold them more accountable for that kind of stuff. Like you get more upset, you get more emotionally driven because you know where you came from, right? And now you see what's going on. And I'm like, guys, like I spent 25 years of my life battling the stuff I did wishing and hoping and dreaming I had this opportunity. And here I am trying to provide a place where people can find that ability to do that, mm -hmm. to have yeah, the stability for that. And, and some of your posts that, that I love, I mean, you know, we, we can either train or we can complain. Yeah. But, but you, one of the one that I really liked, man, is you, you spoke about the grind and how we kind of yeah. have that twisted because showing up every day, and working really hard, like, isn't the grind, but, but talk about that concept that you came up with and, you know, in terms of what grind means to you. Uh, so we all choose what we want to do. If we're going to be, if we're going to be great at something, we have to understand that that thing that we're, we're going to be great at is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require, there's going to be, there's going to be failure. There's going to be success. 
so many times I see people out there talking about, you know, I'm out here grinding, I'm, I'm lifting weights, I'm grinding, I'm, I'm hitting balls, I'm grinding, I'm studying, I'm grinding. Just like in when I had when I said that, and I haven't I, I haven't looked back on that um, since I did that. If you want to be a professional athlete, and you think it's just nine to five, you're mistaken. If you want to be a professional golfer and you think it's just nine to five, I mean, any sport, any profession, any CEO, any, any, anything that's going to be above average is not nine to five. You know, I took this gym on and I'm up every morning in, in the fours, right? I'm in the fours every morning, sometimes 3.50, 3.45. I don't call it grinding. This is what I do. And when you see the guys in here and, and there are players that come through and I'm, I'm not going to point out athletes or anything, but I'm using examples. There are players that come in and work hard and they work harder than others. And if you ask them what they're doing, they say, I'm just working. Just practicing. I'm just to them. They're not, I'm not grinding. I'm not, I'm not going above and beyond. I'm doing what I need to do to be the best. Too many people get confused with the fact that, hey, you know, I lifted weights today or it was hot today, so I'm outside, I'm sweating, I'm grinding. No, you're not grinding. It's when the things go wrong and the wheels come off the tracks and everything falls apart and then you look around and you go, okay, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't planning for this. Now I need to grind to get this back on where I need to go so I can get back to work again. That's the grinding part of it all. But I just feel like that, that whole thing came from so many people just going, hey, you know, check me out. Uh, it, it was blown out. It was like, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. Like grinding is, that's, that's, that's when you're doing above and beyond everything else. Not the mm -hmm. nine stuff, not the eight to four stuff and, and no disrespect to nine to fivers and eight to fours. No. It's just different here. I mean, I've had a lot of great players come through the gym and you look at them. And you can tell when they walk in, it's different. What they're going to do is different. You can tell, you can tell those that are here, you don't have to ask them. They're working. They're not grinding. They're working. Mm -hmm. They know that. But when they, when they grind is when things fall off and they lose that spot in the lineup or something, or they, 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 something happens, they lose a tournament or something like this. And they're like, okay refocus, replan, redo everything. Now let's grind. Let's get back to that place where I'm back to work again. Yeah. What's that mentality, that dog mentality, that mentality of champions, man, that you see? What, do you, what is it that you see? Because I know it's different for everybody. I always say this. Look, it's a different it factor for everybody. What is it that you see? I say it from a gym perspective. Yeah. I say it from a gym perspective. The people that remember what they're supposed to do, the people that walk in and get to work, the people that don't waste their time um, wasting time and they come in, those are the champion type players, the champion type athletes. They walk in here, they walk through that door and they know they're not here to just hang out and, and hang with their buddies and all that. They're here because they have a bigger picture of what they want to come out of this. Um, and you can see it. You walk in and you put 15 people in a room and you'll find the three or four that are different. And it's, and it's not because they're built different. It's because they choose to be different. And their goals they're setting for themselves are higher than the goals others are setting for themselves. And I can look back on that in myself and say, I could be somewhere, I could be so much further along in what I do had I did something different. And when you do that, then you got to figure out, okay, replan, reorganize, restructure, and get back to that, that champion type um, focus and get back to that whole thing. Like, you know, they just stand out. It just stands out. Can you, um, can you go another step deeper on that, Coach? What else stands out to you? What else stands out to me? The way other people, other people can tell too. And I can, am I allowed to use a couple names? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so it's you your think, show, man. Uh, you think about the Erica Shepherds, the the Annabelle Pancakes, the Michael Davins, the Matt Votes, the, the and and there are plenty of names I can name, but when they walk in here, you know what they're here for. Like they they cut right through it all, and I know that they I mean they 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 with their actions relay what they're here for. And there are other players that come in to work out because they just want to hang out with their buddies. And our buddies are here doing this and we're doing that. And that's perfectly fine because that's sports isn't sports in itself isn't about becoming a professional athlete for every athlete. To me, it wasn't that. It was family, it was friends, it was security, it was stability. Right. I may not have had a champion champion outlook on sports, but I had a I don't have to go home. Mm-hmm. I'm just here. And these are my friends. So people know who's here. And I, I, I remember this. Uh, this is an episode. This is an event I remember. It was about three years ago. And Erica Shepard walked in the room and there was a group of high school kids here. And she walked in the room and I hadn't seen her in a while. She went straight and started doing her warm up that we always do. And no questions asked. The way the people moved out of the way when she walked through the room. You can tell that they they know she's here to do business. She's here to work. She's here to get better. The Annabelle pancakes that do that, they walk in and they just, people just kind of go like this and they're like, okay, let her get her thing in. I want to be like that. Mm -hmm. And that's like, they're right there. Look what they're doing. Go do what they're doing. Be like them. This is a gift. Who doesn't want to be good like them, right? And they're right here in front of you. Go walk right up to them and talk to them. And that's one of the things that we always say with all the athletes that come through here. When you see great players that, that have come from this area and they come through the door, go talk to them. Go ask them to play golf. Go work out with them. We open that up. You want to see what they do and how hard they work? They're right there. Join them. And mm-hmm. that opportunity is always there. And I think some take it and some just always stay from the back burner. Like, ah, I don't. And if you're doing, if you're doing this, like, ah, uh, your chances of making it for a living is very hard. Because mm-hmm. worldwide amount of people that are going to be sitting there just like her, waiting for people not to want to interfere with them. Right. It, it's different, and everybody knows it. I mean, there are, there are players. I was talking about this Michael Davin. I caddied for Michael Davin one time, and I called him off of a shot. And I remember him looking at me, and he said some words to me that I won't repeat on this podcast. But I thought to myself, that's not the Michael Davin that I know in the gym. This is the com- competition, Michael Davin. And they're different. It's the same when I caddy for other players. I mean, I get the same thing when I caddy for Erica. And you, you say something to him and you get the Erica in the arena look mm-hmm. versus the Erica outside. It's different. The, yeah. the, the players that are locked in are different when they're locked in. And you can tell. Yeah. Can I share my uh, Erica Shepard story? Absolutely. So, I mean, I know we're in your podcast and everything, but I mean, you've, you've caddied for Erica. I mean, you know, Augusta National Golf Club, if uh, if you're kind of into that thing, you know. Um, so we we got we all got paired together at uh, at the pro tournament, mm-hmm. the IWIT. And, and I don't know if you remember this one. I don't know if we've even spoke about this one, but I'm always fascinated by this. And this is the moment that I knew Erica Shepard was special. Because you don't really know, you can watch, you can observe, but until you are faced with adversity and you see that firsthand, you can't tell. Like you can't, and then that's the thing, right? You cannot tell how strong a tea bag is until you put it in the water. You just mm-hmm. can't. And it's really tough to kind of create that scenario in that situation. Now the gym does do it. It, it provides that environment, but it's not something I've seen. So I, I'm an observer too, and I'm watching. And I don't know if you remember this. Like we got paired together. And uh, and and Lydia Ko, we we got paired with Lydia Ko that day too, who I thought was absolutely fantastic. You see where that number one, you know, uh, uh, spark was in there. And so Erica got uh, warned for slow play, and something I've never seen before. Usually with the slow play, we just pick it up; it's not a problem. They never follow back up. But they follow back up a whole later, and then something I've never seen: a two-shot penalty. So assessing a two-shot penalty to her, I think we were on like, man, I, maybe like hold nine. We had, we had a long way to go. Sure. 
And from that moment on, and it was, you know, watching it happen. Yeah, there was a little bit of frustration. There was a little bit of, you know, what are you talking about sort of thing. But then she shot one under like the rest of the way. I mean, it was like that would have unraveled many people. And at her, it's like she got better because of that. And that's when I yeah. knew Erica, that that's a special player there. Yeah. Uh, that's that's exactly right. I mean, that, I remember what you're talking about. A couple of things happened that day that we did. We um we she got she got put on the clock and that occurred. It you see in those time in those moments, you see how players respond. And she's 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 a killer. That's how she is. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not the same person when that when she puts the tee in the ground as she is when you know she's hanging outside the ropes. It's not the same person. Yeah. You can tell. That's what, yeah, that's what I love too. Cause I think, you know, especially with athletes and depending on whatever our arena is, like you have to kind of have that alter ego that you step into. Because if you take that alter ego outside in a real life, that's not a person people want to hang out with, you know, cause it's, it's a dog mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always talk about when, what's that alter ego? Do you see that a lot then too? I mean, how many times do you see it when somebody, I mean, you can see them change on the, you mean in their arena or in the gym? Yeah. Yeah. Well, both. I mean, because part of that that gym is their arena when it comes to that training piece. Yeah, you'll see players that you'll see players that want to quit, and you'll see players you have to call off and say, "Okay, this is enough for today. We can't do it." Because in their mind, it's it's accomplish this or it's over. And there are times as a coach where you just got to say, "All right, listen, we've we've accomplished a lot today." And those players, you just got to learn. You got to learn to take them off and just like. Like, like working with Erica, right? She's great at, she's, she's, she is a, com, a true competitor. And I, I use her as an example a lot because I've caddied for her the most. Yeah. Um, other players that are this way too. Um, but channeling that and understanding that they're on a different level, even than I am. And it's, it's a special thing in special players mm-hmm. and you can see it. And sometimes, sometimes you have to con- try to control it. Like tell them and they have to look at you and say, okay, I trust you. I'm going to call it enough. This, this is enough right now, but you have to have the, you have to have the strength to do it. And I say this, like when I called Michael Davin off a shot in a, in a tournament and he said what he said to me, it caught me off guard, but it put me in check. But it also made me understand that we're on a working relationship and we have a good respect for each other, but understand that, you know, there is a killer inside, right? A competitive killer inside that wants to get after this and that this is everything's riding on it versus us who are just caddying. There's a lot riding on that. We're not the one pulling the club back, Mm -hmm. not the one taking the shot. So there's a, there's definitely a, there's a gentle mix of that in there yeah coach um in terms of like fitness garage and being an entrepreneur man what was the vision that you have and still have today you know with you know over a dozen years man just in in your own facility talk talk about that with us um fitness garage is something that i came up with this is 12 13 years ago and I was working for a company that I thought was amazing and we were building this golf brand and it kind of fell apart. But the one thing that I saw in it when I took this job is it was like cherry wood lockers and it was granite countertops and it was um, stained wood and it was smelled nice, smelled nice and it was plush carpet around going if i really think about who i am that's not me at all that's not me at all and i thought to myself i want to go back to concrete floors and concrete walls and slamming things and breaking things and throwing things and hitting and and, and all that stuff that goes back into what to me fitness and explosive sports and and competition is all about and i just made this switch and i said you know what this company's been good to me. 
but it's not me. People need to be able to jump and yell and scream and throw and kick and, and we have punching bags. So punch and, and that's part of what we're doing. And I decided to move on from that and open up fitness garage. I opened up fitness garage in a wedding pavilion at Woodwind golf club with about 400 or 500 square feet. I started the idea and then I moved to a place in Zionsville that was just a, a 30 what was it 1800 square feet. It was 1800 square feet all concrete. And, um, that was like me going, I find I'm finally here. Like concrete walls, concrete floors. We can, we can, no matter what we do, we're not going to hurt our surroundings and we can go as hard as we want to. And I built it from there to give an environment where people can just let go. And that's been my whole thing for fitness garage ever since I started, give them a place where they can let loose and they can train and also a place for the, the players to practice and hone their craft. And that's why I've built, I mean, I started off in like 400 square feet. Now I'm at 10,000 square feet and all kinds of different technologies and, and, and everything to help any player get better at their sport. But it all started because I had this moment where I looked around and I said, what am I doing? Like this, this isn't me. And it kind of changed and grew from there. And that's where I just kept, kept it going in that direction. And I know you got more locations and, and a lot more ahead. Correct. Question. Mm-hmm. What question should I be asking Mike that I'm not asking? About what? Well, about anything you want. Um, what am I missing this interview? I think now is this question about me or about sports? It can be about both, man. We got time. Play. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about athletes. Athletes are going to perform best in playing sports that they want to play for reasons they want to play them. Every athlete that walks in your door has a different story going on, and one of the key things in doing what we do and I think my background plays into um, is understanding that living in a world that seems perfect isn't always that way. And knowing that every kid that comes through your door may be a kid just like me and maybe having those same things going on and understand that maybe they're not here to be the next Tiger Woods or Annika Sorenstam. Maybe they're here because they don't want to go somewhere else or they need to release anger and emotion and they just want to be here and just get after weights and whatever we do in here because they need to release that. And that's a big part of what I shoot for. I mean, I had a community center where I went to, to get away. And this is kind of like that. And it's just one of those things where if you approach everything in as a cookie cutter situation, you never get to the depth of what actually that athlete is. Mm-hmm. They are and why they're here. And if they learn to trust you, they're going to let you know. They'll either show it or they'll tell you. And if you can get to that point, and I put this, I put this tweet out uh, about a month ago. When an athlete comes in and they call you by their name, you call them by their name. The moment they call you coach, you've taken that to a different level. It's a level of, hey, I, I'm putting some trust in you. I want you to. I trust you to help me. I trust you to go here. I trust you. I trust you. There's a big part of that. And I know I read tweets all the time and Twitter is a crazy world. It drives me nuts. Um, the moment an athlete puts trust in you to help them, don't take it. Don't take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all trying to figure out our way to the next level, whatever that next level is. And we want to make sure that we've helped them any way we could. And usually it's what we've gone through that's going to help them either A, get there or identify what they're going through. And to me, I love the fact that, you know, if, 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 you run a, if you run a fitness business or any business and all you're doing is trying to provide a service, you're missing the, the, the greatness of what's going on. If you're trying to connect with the athlete, if you're trying to learn about the athlete, if you're trying to actually help that person go from point A to point B and understand and get in their shoes and understand that, that's where the, the, the true greatness is of what we do. And I think that's the reason why I ended up where I am because it was a coach 
it was the couple coaches that took me under their wing when I was a kid and said, Hey, we got a spot for you. And that's kind of my motivation to do things. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today. Tune into KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. So when I walk in here, we have this junior development program going on. We all these things. I look all these kids. I'm looking at them going, not a single one of them are alike. They're all doing similar exercises. They're all in similar classes. Every one of them is different. When you get to talk to them and you learn more about them, it's pretty wild what you find out. Very oh, wild. Love it, man. Coach, that was a mic drop moment, wasn't it? <laughs> I think so. Am I missing anything else? Anything else you want to share? Um, Not really. Man, I will put the links on there and uh, just really appreciate the time and you sharing your story and uh, know that's um, this is the difficulty when it comes to this is I know that's going to help somebody else out. I don't know who that's going to be or how it's going to be, but it's kind of like, you know, you can you can count the seeds in the apple, but you can't count the apple, the number of apples that are going to be in a seed, you know, so I know this is going to impact people and just want to thank you for your time, man, and glad we got to do this. Absolutely. Thank you. for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.